What is this? What's this set called? Something Empire of Glass? Yeah, Empire of Glass. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick Rapadumaro, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going, Hats? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good myself. Yay. It's episode 83. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So this week, we're talking about the top commons in Empire of Glass. Um, so, Hats, how was your draft week? Well, my draft week was a little rough. Uh, my internet uh, went out for a few days, uh, so that impeded my ability to draft at all, although I can uh, use my phone and just use data to draft, and I did a little bit. Um, but I do prefer to draft on my laptop, and I couldn't do that. So uh, I, I will also say that I was really, really slaying this format last month, and as soon as the month changed over, uh, that stopped. I have been doing okay, but not... Uh, by any means, slaying. Uh, a lot of the strategies that I thought I was pretty solid on uh, don't seem to be working against what people are doing now. And I think, uh, in one sense, that's really great because it means the format is evolving and people are figuring it out. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, I'm losing more, and that's not fun. Uh, <laughs> I have... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, I sort of always do. If I play enough, I'll figure things out again. But, yeah, it hasn't been... Uh, uh, I, I certainly haven't uh, haven't been tearing up the cues uh, the way I was last month. So got to readjust my assumptions. Uh, how was your draft week? Good. Uh, it's well, good, good, good's not really the right word for it. Um, I'm sort of taking. Actually, we had very similar weeks because the wire for our fiber at our house split at the pole, and so we were without internet for. Um, a day because of that and um, mine was an external thing too there was like a little thing connecting our wire to the main wire for the neighborhood and it was it was just busted yeah ours um i guess uh, a tree fell on the wire about four houses down uh-huh. and then that reverberated all the way to our house and then the wire from our house to the pole was the wire that snapped oh that's very dramatic yeah but it was very it was very mysterious because when the um, the telephone company came to look at it, they're like, "How did this snap?" And I'm like, "It must have been the snow because it had snowed like six inches." And he's like, "I don't think snow would have done that." And then he went to the pole like right by the road by our house, and he's like, "It looks like the pole has shifted. Did like a truck back into it or anything?" And we're like, "A truck definitely did not back into it." Uh, which we knew because there were six inches of snow and nothing was disturbing <laughs> around the pole. And it had happened overnight. And so he's like, well, this pole definitely moved. And that's what snapped the wire. And, and then we were like trying to figure out how that could have happened. But uh, but then a neighbor said that uh, they were plowing and a tree almost fell on them, but then bounced off the wire. Oh. Well, I mean, it really sounds like uh, that neighbor is the protagonist of this story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this was really about them the whole time, where they were saved by an electrical wire. But yeah, but then they fixed it, so we... From uh... death. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, the minor inconvenience to us may have saved someone's life, but um, yeah. we did get internet back, and then I managed to 03 another deck with 
three shoal dredgers in it seems to be a pretty constant theme in my in my film decks i've now drafted two film decks that have both gone o three but i'm hoping we I, we can turn it around here and then yeah. um right as we were recording we saw that uh direwolf uh is changing the draft packs tomorrow which will not be tomorrow for everyone listening to this it will be several days in the past but we are not going to talk about any of that because we are totally unprepared to to discuss the minor changes they seem to have made to the draft ratings. Yeah, they're pretty minor. Uh, we're not going to talk about it at all except that a brief overview of the changes looks like they, they were minimal. Yes. And then they added three sort of common and uncommon cards um, to the packs. They added Greed Reward. They added oh, what's tainted mark? Yes, and plague. And plague yeah. is the um, the shadow spell that gives all enemy units minus one minus or all units. Just enemy units. Okay, that gives enemy units minus one minus one. Yeah, I think plague is. Uh, I mean, it's an uncommon, so it won't make like massive waves, but it is a legit card in draft. So that, that's 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 the one I think. Um, that will have the biggest effect, but there will be people who, who uh, make spell damage decks and then destroy me with greed's reward. I can already tell you that's going to happen. <laughs> yep, I believe it. All right, so moving on to our uh, thanking our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/FarmingEternal, or as you can sign up to support the show for as little as a dollar a month and um, get a thanks on the show. So. As always, thank you to Cotillion, Loki Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Homrit, Raven Dragon, Esrit 215 Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistow. Uh, we appreciate the support. Yes, we do. All right. So what are your card what's your card of the week this week? Uh, my card of the week. Uh, for my card of the week, I have chosen the draft powerhouse. <laughs> Uh, I've chosen Hook Blade Infuser. What's that card, you say? You haven't seen anyone play that in draft lately? Interesting. Let's talk about why. Uh, Hook Blade Infuser is uh, a Valkyrie. It costs six Shadow Shadow. Uh, it has four strength and two health. It has flying and decay um, and the ability uh, Fate. If you have a relic weapon, it gets plus four strength and decay. So if you draw a blade infuser while you have a relic whip weapon in play, uh, your relic weapon will become more powerful and gain decay. So I wanted to talk about this card because it's confusing. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't understand why they designed it this way what its intended purpose is. You know how, like, a, a well-designed card will tell a story, kind of? It'll tell a gameplay story, like, hey, I see what this card is for. Uh, and, it, like, let's say, let's take Barricade Basher. Uh, it's not a complicated story that Barricade Basher uh, tells. Uh, it's a 5-5 five five that costs 3, and you discard a card. You can, the story is, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm trying to win fast at any cost. And I'm going to do it in a very direct way. Uh, it's good. It's good at what it does, uh, and it's very clear what it's for. It's not a defensive card because it has reckless. You're gonna be attacking with it. It's very limited, but it's powerful. 
Hookblade Infuser is the most confusing mess of a card in this set. <laughs> it's got flying and it, it's got decay. Decay is a real weird ability for a flyer because it's not going to get in a lot of combats where with like another giant flyer that it needs to permanently reduce. Like it'll be relevant occasionally. But, yeah, but it uh, needs to hit like a 5-5 five five or something. <laughs> right, yeah. And I mean, if, if you use it on defense... Okay, it's going to do permanent damage to the thing attacking. Why are you? Why is your flyer on defense? <laughs> why is your four-two, six-cost flyer blocking? It's weird. And then the fate ability is sheer madness because relic weapons don't stay in play for very many turns. And no, the, the, the fate ability should just like pop up a message and say, "Congratulations, you're winning." Because you're getting a two-for-one with your Relic Weapon because it's still in play when you drew me. Yeah. Yeah, if your Relic Weapon is still around when you draw a card, you don't need it to be better than it already is. Almost never. It's never relevant. And and the chances that you'll draw this while you have the Relic Weapon in play are, are almost in, it's almost zero. Yeah. So what I like to do with some of the fate cards in, in this set, like there's, there's, a, there's a fate card for every one of the main tribes, um, and you draw a card if, if, like with the Mandrake one if you already have a Mandrake in play, right? Um, and I like to put those in markets so that I can control whether or not I draw the card. And that's usually a pretty effective thing to do, although it's better with some of them than others. Um, but I really like it with, like, Silver Titan, for example. So I make sure that I draw Silver Titan, which costs seven, um, when I already had a Sentinel in play, so at least I'm drawing a card off of it. Putting Hookblade Infuser in the market uh, it doesn't help, because you still have to, in one turn, make a Relic Weapon, then access your market, draw the infuser, make your relic weapon big. That is so many moving pieces. I'm sure it's possible to do that, but like you, you have to have all of this power still available. <laughs> like it's crazy hard to do. And if you're like counting on it, then you're not like you're it's not it's not ever gonna happen. And if you are uh making the relic like a, a deck with enough relic weapons where this is a legitimate part of your plan um, it's so hard to also get uh, make it a deck where having a flyer is a relevant thing because like flyers and relic weapons you don't want to like pack your deck full of them usually I guess you can be get rid of opposing flyers with your relic weapons to some degree so I guess that's okay but what you really want is a bunch of little flyers, and then you want your relic weapons to get rid of opposing flyers, and then you don't need a 4-2 at the end of all that. What you need is, like, more removal at the top end. It just it doesn't make any sense. Whew. I started off strong, and then I kind of started mumbling, but the card just makes me angry. No, I <laughs> I agree. The card makes no sense. Like, they couldn't even give it... It's a Val- They couldn't give it Valkyrie Warp, so at least you double your chance. I feel like this should have been a Valkyrie Warp ability. Yeah. Yeah, I guess about warping it doesn't... Yeah, I agree. It, or Instead something. of a Fate ability, make it a Valkyrie Warp ability. Yeah. It's still never going to activate on your Relic Weapon, but at least it will be on theme. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, make it Valkyrie Warp... <laughs> 
improve the stats or something. I, so, I agree. So uh, that doesn't mean that this is an unplayable card if you need some way to finish a game in the air and your deck, you know, is is lacking somehow because that happens. Uh, I just wish the card did something specific instead of a whole bunch of things poorly. I I agree. Though I do think I don't know if if you're relying on this to win the game, you're. I feel like you're sort of in a sorry. A, oh a bit yeah, of a sorry I'm not state. saying I'm not saying <laughs> you're looking forward to playing this as your six drops. Uh, it just it's just like sometimes you need enough playables and you you know you, the signals were bad and you don't have anything to play at the top end and. Um, maybe this is a card that you could put there, but you're not hoping for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you picked this one. Uh, we talked offline a bunch about this one, too. And I have the exact same opinion as you do. This card just makes me angry. It makes me angry when my opponent plays it because I feel like they really shouldn't be playing it because the card does absolutely nothing that you want it to do. And... Yeah, it's just an all-around bad experience. On the on the bright side, when your opponent does play it, uh, there's plenty of removal for it. Like it's only got two health, so you can probably kill it. Yes. No, I agree. It's not out of fear. <laughs> no, it's not out of fear <laughs> just, necessarily. Just I get <laughs> But I have I've had this played against me multiple times, and. <laughs> I just don't understand every single time. Yeah. I, I I want every card, every common especially, to have a purpose in draft. So it's pretty annoying when I can't make a card work. And I had to give up on this one real fast. Yeah. Okay. Enough said about Hookblade and Fusion. <laughs> What's All your right. Card? Well, speaking of card, this is, for me, this card is in a similar vein. And my card of the week is Fatal Misstep, mm-hmm. um, which is a two-shadow fast spell that says kill an enemy unit that was played this turn. Each player discards the the bottom three cards of their deck. So uh, for me, this is also a card that never does what I want it to do. I have a feeling part of my problem with this card is I just... It's like requires too high of a skill level and I'm just like not there. Because I just never know what to do with this card when it's in my hand, especially early. I'm like, do I not play anything turn two and hope to kill their guy? Turn four, do I not play anything? Or do I try to like play it? You know, like, I just never know when to hold this up. And the only way this kills something is by holding up to power. But when this is in your opening hand, it's very hard I don't know. It's just like... Yeah, I think it's a difficult card, but uh, I have had some decks playing two or three Fatal Missteps that did very well, and I think it plays well if you have a deck with other removal, so you don't... so you're not worried about killing some of those early units. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in general uh, the times when you hold it up are the times when a big unit would destroy your plans. If you're at parity on board or you're a little bit ahead, then I, I don't think you need to bother play, uh, holding up 
fatal misstep so much, uh, it's better to just add to your board if that's an option for you. Um, and then, and then sort of, uh, I don't know. If you uh, like the way it plays, the way it plays out for me usually is that I don't counter things with fatal misstep at the beginning unless it would give me a big advantage, and right. then and then I have it available for those big game changing plays that people will make with you know, their five and six cost cards or you know their four cost cards depending on what's on the board. And fatal misstep is set up to make sure that they can't stabilize or they can't overrun you. Um, but I'm usually pretty conservative with them. Like I don't counter early things unless I, I, unless my hand is just incapable of withstanding an early assault. Yeah, I guess part of my problem though is like some of the biggest things you like some of the most hard to deal units are at three costs, like a barricade basher, and then it's just like when your opponent plays a fire and then they play a two drop and then you know, you're going to their turn three, you're like, well, I don't know, do, do I, like, hold this up, assuming they have Barricade Basher? Do I not hold it up and hope they don't have Barricade Basher? And then I often make the wrong choice in that game. And then also, I feel like this card plays very weirdly if you also have big haymakers, because, like, if your curve does go up to five or six costs, you know, I... I feel this tension where I'm like, do I play my five drop and then not hold up bear, uh, and not hold up misstep? But if they, you know, if they also then play their five or six drop, then misstep has really lost a lot of its value because now they're in top deck mode. And it's like, who really cares if you misstep, you know, their top deck two drop or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's a problem with it. it the thing is, that fatal misstep only costs two and can kill anything, so yes. it's extremely powerful. And um, like the the difficulty in playing it correctly is the price that you pay for having such a strong card. <laughs> yes. <sighs> yeah, it's rough. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Maybe I'm just like yeah. Maybe because I haven't played enough Magic, so I just don't understand how to play counter spells, and this is essentially like a counter creature spell. Pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's also weird to me because, you know, speaking of, like, stories that a card tells, you know, because this includes this, like, discard ability, you know, it feels like you're not playing it in a mill deck per se, you're playing it in like a, sh a shoal dredger or a shoal dredger deck. But like now you're like playing a creature, I don't know, you're like playing a creature deck. I don't know, maybe, I, I don't I don't know what my deal is. There's just feels like there's not enough removal to be able to like maximize Fatal Misstep. I th I guess so. I I think that there's a fair amount of removal in the format, but um, like my my Feln decks tend to be sort of a combination of like the good ones tend to be sort of a combination of like deadly units and ghastly perfume and like a lightning strike or something. So it can sort of deal with a variety of threats. 
Um, I, I haven't really had a lot of success, to be honest, with the with the Darkwater Vines Fatal Misstep Shoal Dredger sort of archetype. Um, so I, I'm not really analyzing it in that. I think I think if you are playing the Darkwater Vines Shoal Dredger deck, and then you're also playing Fatal Misstep to make the, your Shoal Dredgers come out even faster, then I think it's probably okay to counter things pretty early on mm-hmm. because you're getting a huge... Uh, power advantage because you're going to be able to play a 7-6 pretty quickly. So uh, if you don't have a shoulder dredger in hand, of course, then I think you have to recalibrate your thinking. But um, I think it changes the way the card functions because then you are trying to play a creature deck that plays bigger creatures faster than your opponent can handle them. Um, And also, I don't know. uh, Like... um, I don't know. Um, the, I, I do think I do like. I do think the card is uh, is is strong and playable, and I kind of like that it's a little difficult to play because there's. Although I have made the wrong, it's hard to tell when you've made the wrong decision with Fatal Misstep because if you leave up Fatal Misstep against a person who's going to play Barricade Basher, and they don't play Barricade Basher, that might be because they got the read on because it's so bad getting a Basher Fatal Misstepped. Um, it, it, it they might just know <laughs> and they don't play it, um, and they'll play something smaller. And I've seen good players do that, where I know they have a basher in hand, and because I left up two power, then they don't play it. Um, uh, I think it creates an interesting mind game for for people who who are playing with an awareness of it. And so I have generally positive feelings about it, even though I have been on the receiving end of making bad fatal misstep decisions, either against it or with it. Um, I think it's overall kind of a positive thing for the draft environment, but also partly because there aren't that many other spells that can just completely get rid of a unit by themselves. And I think it's necessary to have something other than sent to market um, that's much cheaper that can just handle anything. So I like having it around. Yeah. No, I, I do think it's a cool card, and I do like the sub game. It's just like a, like I said, it's a card that, I don't know, I, like I've had opponents that seem to always <laughs> have it whenever I need them not to have it. And or, yeah, or there's... then you're like, well, they can't possibly have a third fatal misstep. <laughs> and then they have the third fatal misstep. Yeah. But, but then also, it has not played nearly as well for me, and I'm still trying to figure out why that is exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's another one of those cards where if somebody has it in their hand and it's not good, then you just don't see them play it. So yeah. it, you you can't really see it when it's not working well for them. So yeah. they're having the same difficulty as you, probably. It's just that... Uh, when it's good, it is sometimes really good. Yeah, it's sort of. And then finally, I wanted to give a, an addendum to our my card of the week from last week, which was um, Laser Blast. And Spiffy Man in Discord mentioned that not only do does fast removal counter Laser Blast, but even damaging effects like a Seer or a Char also affect laser blast so if you if your opponent laser blasts a unit and then you char it 
they will deal two less damage to you. Yeah, that's real interesting. It's rare to see that in play because there's not a lot of fast spells that do damage, but uh, that could be relevant sometimes. Yeah, and especially as they change the weighting of cards, you know, some of these fast um, spell damage, you know, the, the fast damage spells could go up in, um, you know, boosted ratings and stuff. So it is a, a an interaction everyone should keep in mind. All right, and then on to seven win run breakdown. This is our long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners send in their seven win drafts to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them to the seven win channel on the Discord. We accept them in either exported deck lists or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And then we take this information, we put it in a spreadsheet, and we do a little bit of data analysis on it and talk about it here in this here segment as well as shout out everyone who sent in a list. Um, and as always, thank you to John Holio for entering the list this week. We had two new contributors this week, uh, Fafa Papa and Poinke. I think just spell it. <laughs> oh? It's H-O-H-N-K-E. H-O-H-N-K-E. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, Hats takes the cowardly way out of that. No, I think they take the precise way. <laughs> take the precise path. Yes, okay. Well, thank you, Mr. H-O-H-N-K-E. <laughs> All right. And then our veteran contributors are Abednego, Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Beard Broken, Sizzle Steam, Collector, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, D-Dub, Fast Cookie, Full Robot, Gunner 116, Hats on Lamps, Ip Long Me! Note. What? Oh, that's me. Yeah, that was you. <laughs> Probably back when you used to be good at this format. I know. It's such a... It's so sad. <laughs> John Avon, Meadow, Mercurio Blue, uh, Moites, Ulrich, Potomaru, Shab, Estrich0215, Spiffy Man, Surf Wizard, Tempest Dragon King, Vader, Who Does That, Work Done Son, and... ZS Jostrom 35. Cool. So, um, big thing this week is um, we now have 169 lists. Uh, Justice has now tied itself with Fire, being in 91 of the of our decks. And the other interesting thing is Shadow has sort of moved up to a clear second place with uh, 73 or 43% of our decks of Shadow. And then Time and Primal continue to stay down there in the mid-20s. So it's kind of interesting that, um, you know, Justice moved up this week a bit and Shadow moved up a bit this week. Um, So we're seeing more of those decks. And so then the decks that we're seeing the most of kind of make sense with in that context where the um, our two most represented color pairs are Stone Scar and Rakano. And then after that, we have Huru and Argentport and then also Cambrai as sort of the second tier of decks. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that Huru is doing so well to me. I think it's I like I said a couple times on the podcast. I've been kind of having um, 
success with like Huru Amplify decks a little bit. I haven't drafted one really recently, but when I did, I kind of liked those decks and see how they can be powerful. I don't really see them that much in the queues, so it's a little surprising that people are winning so much with them. I don't see them that often, but I know when somebody plays a Maveloft Elite on turn two that I'm usually in trouble. Yes. I I agree. Um, and then the Combray decks, too, are kind of interesting because I feel like we've talked about this. Combray can kind of go either way. People have been having success with sort of these go-wide, aggro-ish Combray decks as well as Combray Ramp. Um, you know. Yeah. I haven't seen the go wide ones as much, mm-hmm. but I have seen people just sort of go crazy with Okessa's audience and Combray, and that's usually pretty good. Yes. All right, and then um, the big thing is more and more people are drafting Bannerman. I think um, so. That has actually moved up to the number one appearing card over Barricade Basher, um, and we kind of discussed this earlier. I mean, it makes sense. Bar- Bannerman is a colorless card. It can go in every deck. But also, two drops are a little light in this format, depending on what colors you're in. And so I think the value of Bannerman sort of is even higher than in most formats, where you're not even just, sometimes you're not even just playing it the splash of color. You're just playing it because you need a two drop. Yeah, the fact that it fixes your next um, your fixes for your next plays is is almost a bonus. Um, but there's been a lot of times when I've been heading into the end of pack three or or heading into pack three with with not very many two drops, like one or two, and I desperately need them. And so every time I see a banner man, it's like yay. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing is like even if you're not splashing. Um, you know, Bannerman's just nice for to make sure you have the exact two color. You know, the you know when you have a bunch of double pip cards to be able to have the double pip in the color that you need. So yeah, so that's the, that's the big thing. So our top three are Bannerman, Barricade, Basher, Send to Market. Actually, a bunch of Justice cards moved up um, this week. Send to Market, Bastion, Gatekeeper, Side Street, Monitor, and then number six is Laser Blast. And then Akessa's audience, side slash, shoal dredger, and Oni hybrid make out the top ten. Sorry, people love a side slash. Yeah, it's a pretty good card. Yeah, it's just that we've had a discussion recently on the Discord about how I think there's at least one person who uh, who's a very good player and refuses to play more than one side slash in a deck. Yes. And I will say in the seven win decks, people are playing more than one. You do not get to um, be you know you do not get to be the number eight card by people only playing one per deck. Yeah, no. So I like it. I found I've 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 definitely found that it's um in in if you're playing fire, it tends to be exactly what you want. Yes, I agree. And there's just like cards that that work with it, even when it's not you know the final play of the game. So it's. It's, I think, uniquely well-situated in this format. Yes, indeed. <clears throat> okay. All right. So um, our main topic today is sort of talking about the, I guess, the top commons in each of the colors and then kind of giving a breakdown of, like, 
our pick order for commons, we're sort of happy to pick pack one, pick one. And then I think from over the next couple weeks, we'll probably go through the uncommons and rares also. Probably we'll sprinkle in a breakdown of the draft changes somewhere in there um, since those came out today. But yeah, that's what we're looking for over the next couple weeks. So, but we thought we would start with the commons. So um, yeah, what are the top commons in fire? That's like We'll go through each of the colors first. Okay. Well, I, I do want to give credit to you because you prepared this list and I merely agreed with it. Um, it I, there's not really... So we're really talking about commons that if 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 the rare and the uncommons aren't really first pickable, then you look at the commons and these are the cards that you would consider taking. And uh, for fire, there's really just two. The first one is Barricade Basher. We've talked about that quite a bit, um, but it has held up. I, I think because people under, like know how powerful it is, you don't run into decks playing three or four of them as often now. Um, and so it doesn't feel like a problem the way it felt at the beginning of the format because you would run into the the deck that got all of the barricade bashers. It's just like I don't think I can deal with. I don't think I can deal with two five fives on turn by turn four. That just seems difficult. Um, <laughs> seems like a difficult thing to deal with, no matter how many cards are left in my opponent's hand. Um, and so now it's more of a more of a. a I think now it's more of an interesting part of the draft format, certainly format defining in some ways, but I'm not running into them every other game the way I was. Uh, but it's still very, very strong. It's a 5-5 five, five with Reckless for three. Um, it plays well with uh, with Laser Blast, which uh, does five damage off a of Barricade Basher for just one power. Um, and Fire does want to be very aggressive in this format. It doesn't always, but uh, there's a lot of very aggressive cards for, for Fire right now, so um, having something really big that has to attack is exactly what Fire wants to be doing. Um, it's funny to have the best card in a faction have Reckless on it, which is obviously the worst ability for a unit <laughs> to have, but it's the kind of card that wants to attack. Uh, I want to tell a brief, very brief anecdote about uh, a Magic the Gathering card from uh, quite a while ago now. In it was in the Innistrad block, but not actually in Innistrad. Uh, it was when the uh, there was a set uh, that introduced the Eldrazi, which are these huge colorless monsters um, that uh, that sort of invade a realm, um, very sort of old god Lovecraftian things. Uh, and there was one that was called Ulamog's Crusher. Ulamog was one of the old gods, and the Crusher was its minion. And it was an 8-8 that cost 8. It was colorless, so it was expensive. Um, and it had an ability called Annihilate, which meant every time it attacked, your opponent had to sacrifice two cards from play. Um, that was, And when, when they were testing this card... Uh, they would observe people playing it and they wouldn't want to attack with their 8-8 because they were afraid something would happen to it. And they had put, put an ability on it that said, when you attack with this, it destroys two of your opponent's cards of their choice, but still, and they made it an 8-8, <laughs> so it's very difficult to kill in combat. And yet people were still like, mm, I paid 8 for this. I don't want to get it lost in combat. And so they just printed Reckless on it. <laughs> they just said, they, they, there wasn't a keyword for it even. They just said, Ulamog's Crusher has to attack every turn. It just has to. 
just just play the card the way we tell you tell you to. <laughs> and that was the that was the version that made it to print. Anyway, Barricade Basher is like that. <laughs> like if you weren't attacking with it, you're doing it wrong. So they just Yeah, exactly. It's it. it's a a joke how that's actually like a positive trait because it means you can't misplay the card. Yeah. Yeah, like if like if an inexperienced drafter who's like, "No, I don't want my 5/5 five five to die." Like thought I'm not going to attack with my barricade basher. It's right on the card. You have to. <laughs> you'll you'll play the card correctly because it says so. The only time that's a problem is when your opponent has played a one-one deadly against you, and you somehow, through some kind of miracle, don't have a way to kill it easily. <laughs> Which, as as you can probably tell, my opponents always have. Anyway. Uh, it's been a bad week for, for Eternal for me. So, the other card is Laser Blast. Uh, and we talked about Laser Blast pretty extensively last week. Uh, also Basher, but that, that never stopped me before. Uh, but Laser Blast uh, deals... Um, is, is the three-fire um, spell. Uh, choose one of your units and then deal, its, uh, deal damage equal to its health uh, to another unit. And... Um, I, I, there are decks where Laser Blast is a little weak because a lot of your units only have one or two health. That's possible, especially in Valkyries. But most of the time, you're going to be able to kill whatever you need to with Laser Blast, um, as long as your units are, are pretty big. And then, of course, it only costs one if you play it off of a Sentinel, and Basher is a Sentinel. Flame Heart Patroller is a Sentinel. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of good playable cards are Sentinels. So Blast is... Uh, I'm not ashamed to pick a laser blast, but it's not going to be my favorite thing to do. I usually like to pick up a couple of cards before laser blasts, but still, still a very strong card. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, what's kind of interesting about going through all the commons to make this list is that it felt like every color had a pretty clear number one, and then. Some of the colors, like Fire, had, I think, for me, a pretty clear number two. And then a lot of good cards, but, like, sort of middle-of-the-pack cards that not necessarily wouldn't be necessarily excited to pick. Um, so Fire was kind of like that, where I think Barricade Basher was the clear one, then there was Laser Blast, and then, and then a lot... It becomes a lot more nebulous to, like, try to pick out a third card... Of. Yeah, I think I would give honorable mention to Oni Hybrid. That's the three one for four fire fire uh, with flying, and when you summon it, you draw a weapon from your void. And that's kind of format dependent because if you are, it, it's it's pretty easy to end up in a deck where you have at least one weapon to to get back that'll be relevant. I think, and a, a hybrid just sort of plays so well within Rakano or or Stone Scar that you, it tends to. It tends to be good if you do end up in fire, but it's not really an exciting card by itself. So, yeah. and I think a lot of people would probably pick side slash over it, but I don't think that's necessarily correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, like yeah, and like side slash, we've talked about. You know, we're pretty high on the card. It's been doing well for other people in the Discord, but I, I still, I don't think it's like really a first p- pickable card. It's not a, it, or at least it's. A, <laughs> I mean, I guess I could imagine a pack where you would pick it first, but I don't know if you'd be happy to pick it first. Yeah, I, I think it's a card that you're really looking for as soon as you know what kind of deck you're playing. But I don't, I don't think it's, it doesn't draw me into fire by itself. Yeah. 
All right, so then on to time. Um, I have send for the reserves is the number one card. That is the two time spell that says play a two one unit and then you can amplify it for two to play more two one units. Yeah, and this is just because it scales very, very well. Um, it doesn't feel that impressive when you have to play it on two and just get a 2-1 soldier, although there are times when that's probably correct because you have to deal with early aggression. But um, when you it, when you top deck it and you're, and you're stalled out on a board and you can make four units with it, it's great. Um, and then uh, I, I think you most often play it on four when you don't have another play and then you make two units and then it's good. It's, it's just sort of a card that is good at any point in the game. Exactly. And and that's the kind of card that you do want to pick early because it's just so flexible and can um and just can go in so many different decks. Like it's it's obviously for the soldier deck. Um it you know and it has amplify synergy, but I think you're just most time decks are happy to play this because it's an early you know, it's a two drop, which are always great that scales. Yeah. All right, and then next I have a core top maximizer sort of in second place, and this is the two time one one with deadly, and then you get plus two maximum power if you have a relic. Uh, this is a very powerful card, but it's a little narrower than send for the reserves. Um, you really kind of want relics to, you know, to use it to its maximal potential, and you want cheap relics to do that, like Ukesa's audience. Um, but also, just actually being a 1-1 deadly is pretty good in this format because there are so many units that you want to block. Yeah. Um, it's very good for that specific purpose, and it plays well with Laser Blast if you end up in some kind of Praxis Sentinels thing. Um, and it is so powerful if you can, if you do have the relics to back it up. So it it feels like a safe pick that you're very rarely going to cut if you end up in time, and that's the kind of thing that pulls you into the into the faction. Yes. All right, and then after that, times cards also I think get a little a little muddled. Yeah, they tend to be pretty mediocre after that, or or very specific to certain types of decks. There's nothing really strong there. Like, Pollen Sprayer is an amazing card in the right deck, but uh, it's so rare that you're actually going to draft that deck. Yeah. And then there's also, like, the the one that creates the Cobra the cobra Fangs with Amplify. Like, I think that's a pretty good card, but that's also a card that maybe not every deck wants, and even when a deck wants it, you really want one of them. Yeah. Unless you are in the Muster deck somehow, <laughs> and you want them. When you want all the Cobra Gears. Oh, yeah, that's true. Good old Muster. It's one of the Which, only uh, cards in this whole format that makes an attachment and a spell in the, at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, and I don't know what Greenstretch Empath was, but it's now going to be 20 times boosted, so... It was it was before. It was a baffling uh, choice for 20 times boost and remains that way. <laughs> okay, okay I'm, glad, I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. Um, all right, so on to Justice. So Justice has a lot of good comments, and I guess the, the best one still, and, you know, number two, or, or rather number three on, on the most played card, 
in our seven win breakdown um, is Send to Market. Uh, Send to Market is two, uh, sorry, it's a five Justice Justice fast spell, um, uh, which uh, sends any enemy unit to their market. That's what it does. Um, it's one of the few ways that in this format that you can just kill absolutely anything along with Fatal Misstep. And uh, it can do it when the thing when the unit has been around for a few turns. The big drawback is that it costs five, but that is actually one power less than you often have to pay to kill something with shadow. So um, it's very good. <laughs> the fact that it can be accessed again from the market um, if your opponent is playing market things is pretty irrelevant, really, because uh, it might come back, but you still made them spend resources getting it back that they otherwise could have used on, on what they were planning to get from their market because they put it there at the beginning. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And there's... Right. And there's no, like, free way to draw from the market. You know, like, you're, they still have to spend a card to draw it from the market. Yeah, yeah, you're still you're still taking away a threat and then making them at least jump through a lot of hoops to get it back. And I think in this format, putting something in the market still makes it harder to get back than if it were in the void because there is some playable recursion in this format. You've still got um, you've still got the spell that gives it plus two plus two triumphant return and brings it back, and then you've got nectar of unlife. Uh, so, like. All, even with all of the market access in this format, send to market still feels like it just says kill a unit. And so, very. And this is also a very Voltron y format where people will pile a, a bunch of weapons on a flyer and just, and just murder you. And so, send to market is good against that kind of thing. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, fast speed removal, sort of, it turns out, no matter how expensive, is usually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And it is weird that uh, Justice gets the the strongest overall removal spell in the format. Because <laughs> Justice usually doesn't need that. It's usually fine just playing big units and good relic weapons, which it also has. But, oh well. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> kind of interesting. Because Justice usually, I mean, yeah, it does get removal, but it's usually conditional. Um, yeah, usually it's like silence and stun a thing, and then you'll have to deal with it in a couple of turns, or you at or least like have to... Or cost, you know, four attack or more, or cheap units right. only, or flying yeah, units that, only. That was kind of the theme for it, and this is just universal, so... And it's also really, like, because this is a format that doesn't have a lot of Aegis, because the units have regen instead, Sent to Market ignores regen entirely, you know, like it just... It's it's it, you can just use it on anything. So another card, which is good. I don't know if these are necessarily like in order of absolute power here, but Bastion Gatekeeper is another very good card. I don't know if I would want to first pick this. Um, I, I haven't been like super impressed with the card, but it is good and it does a lot of things. Bastion Gatekeeper, Gatekeeper is a three one with uh, for two justice. Uh, when you summon it, you get to plunder. And then once per turn, you can pay three to double its strength and health for the turn. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a... I, I think the fact that it plunders and makes the rest of your deck run smoother 
for me, that's the main reason that you play the card. It's potentially very powerful, obviously, if you can do silly things like pump it and then make it even bigger with its ability. Um, but I see that actually happen so rarely that it's more like a little bonus for a card that otherwise would just be a 3-1 that plunders rather than the main thing going on with the card. Um, of course, if you play this on two and then your opponent has done absolutely nothing, then you can always just double it and hit them for six on turn three if you've also got nothing else to do. But again, I don't, I don't know if that's the main thing going on. I think it's mostly a, an aggressive card that plunders and then makes your, the rest of your deck uh, run smoothly and then punishes your opponent real hard if they aren't putting up a defense. Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, sort of less so because a 2-2 can block it, but what I like about it is uh, obviously that it plunders, but also it does have a little bit of the good early, good late thing going on with it because, you know, having your 2-drop being able to kill just about any blocker is I think pretty pretty good. Yeah, you can end up in a situation where you've done a bunch of damage with, say, your Rakano deck, but your opponent has managed to stabilize, and then they've got like a five-five down or something. So a lot of your units aren't going to be able to attack through that, like your two twos and so forth. But Bastion Gatekeeper can come down, draw you a card off of the sigil that you have left in your hand, and then attack as a six-two, and then the five-five either has to block it or they have to let you do six damage. So yeah, it plays real well that way. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, when I made this list, again, Send to Market was the clear number one, and then Bastion Gatekeeper, and then this next card, uh, Covenant Peacekeeper, which is the uh, three cost 2 2 that stuns an enemy unit. Uh, sort of kind of mixed with me about which one is maybe is better or I'm happier to see. They're both kind of actually pretty similar in my mind. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And Covenant Peacekeeper is a, uh, I, I just, it's become my most hated thing to play against now because <laughs> you'll see, you'll see people play two Boulder Gate guards on turn one and turn two, and it's just like, oh, I know your deck is just loaded with Peacekeepers. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, I, I mean, I think I was, I think I was playing, I think I was like picking these things real high and when when not everyone in the draft format was but people have definitely figured out that it's a good card now yes i i, I agree that's one and of the, one so of the well edges with, you know, that i don't have anymore it can slow your opponent down or it can just be a very aggressive card and let your bashers get in and yeah. or like you said turn on your uh boulder gate guards you know there's just like a lot of uses for it yeah, it's good for the same reason that Gerald's Frostkin has always been a really solid pick. Is yeah. Stunning an enemy unit is usually enough to make a major difference in a draft game. Yes. Yeah, and then sort of as an honorable mention, I also had Gravity Gloves. Yeah, Gravity Glove is good. I'm not sure what the right number of Gravity Gloves is to play in a deck. I feel like it's probably two. Yeah. Because... Like, if you can't kill something... Like, you run out of things that you can kill with Gravity Glove eventually. Although, I guess it does also scale, so... Maybe it's even better than I think it is. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of slow, a slow scale. It is, Even though yeah. it does scale. Like, to get it to a 4-4, four, four, you need 7 power. And then a 5-5, five, five, you need 9 power, so... Yeah. 
but if you are playing Oni hybrids or you have some other way of getting them back, uh, like rest restoration, um, dun, 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 what's it called? Restorative process. Uh, then then it gets really mean because it keeps um, all of the it keeps all of the scaling up that you've pumped into it. Yes. So I think it's a pretty safe pick early a lot of the time because the chances are fairly high that you'll it'll end up in your final deck. And if that's the criteria that we're using, and I think it's a good criteria, then Gravity Glove is, is pretty good. I would be sad to first pick a Gravity Glove in an entire draft. Um, so it's at the low end of this criteria that we're using. Yes. Um, yes, but, you know, like, one of the nice things about it is, like you said, you know, you don't know what the, you know, the maximum number of gravity gloves would be, but it's more than one. And so, yeah, it's, again, that's another good thing about <laughs> cards that, you, that you're picking early is if you pick a card early that you only want one of, you can get yourself in trouble when you take a few of them late, too. Yeah. I think, you know, looking at this, I think that there are more honorable mentions for Justice, too. Uh, I think Side Street Monitor and Stairs Beckoning are both still pretty high picks because, again, they're fairly. it's fairly safe to assume that they're going to make your final deck. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So justice is just real well set up is, is what it comes down to. As usual, it has a lot of good commons that play well in a variety of decks. Yes. Yeah, and I think a lot of them are what's interesting compared to fire, and it kind of makes sense with the trend of the seven win decks is like a lot of the justice cards are good, but I think keep raise you know rising in people's estimations, which makes sense that it continues to do better and better like the fire cards i think barricade basher was just like so in your face obviously awesome that everyone was drafting fire but people are starting to realize i think that cards like covenant peacekeeper and gravity glove and um, side street monitor are actually maybe even like more powerful than they look at first glance and that you can just like make a really solid deck out of all of these pretty good justice commons yeah i think that's what's happening and i think you have to play no i think you have to draft knowing that people are picking gravity glove pretty high and you're going to face it so a lot of units that would otherwise be really strong um if a gra if a three cost gravity glove can take them out and then stick around you can't really think of them as that good anymore mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I guess there's not a lot of units like that but there's a handful of them yeah all right, and then on to Primal. Okay, so Primal is even weirder than usual because they've decided for this format that Valkyries are that are the only small flyers you can have, and those are Injustice, Shadow, and Fire. So Primal doesn't get flyers, <laughs> and I don't know what Primal gets, but it's it's not what it's not what it's normally good at. So. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's not flying and it's not drawing cards. So, so <laughs> what is it? I don't know. It's support. Uh, so I guess the best primal common is Maveloft Elite, but it is a kind of a weird card for to be your best common because you do have to support it with Amplify cards, which don't always show up. 
but of course it's very strong if uh, you do get the deck to support it. Uh, Mabel off the lead. Mabel off the lead is a 2-2 for 2 primal, and then when you amplify a card, it gets plus 1, plus 1 for each amplify. Um, there are a lot of amplify cards in this format, of course, uh, but it's certainly possible to first pick to like have after your first three or four picks two Mabeloff deletes in your pile and then never see an Amplify card for the rest of the draft. I know that for sure because it's happened to me. <laughs> Just never see one, never see one ever. Yeah, no, I agree. Though I will say the fact that Mabeloff elite is thank thank goodness Direwolf did it, made it a two two at the very least. So like you know at the very worst it's a two two, which is yeah. still. Playable in a format with not a ton of two drops. Yes, so it's it's fine that way. And part of what makes Mabeloft Elite a strong card is that your opponent doesn't know whether you have an Amplify card in your hand or not. And so they have to play as though you do. And that means... I mean, they don't have to play that way. So they can take the risk and just like try to block it. Um, but after the first couple of times you get punished by for turn two Mabeloft Elite, turn three hardiness, making it a four four, um, eat your guy that blocked, you, you start to you start to get a little cagey. <laughs> and, and you start to you start to be a little bit more careful. Uh, so it's one of those cards that could potentially be so good that your opponent kinda has to be careful around it. So I think that's part of its strength. So yes. you don't even need the Amplify cards in your deck to make your opponent play um, as though you do. And uh, that's a real thing. It depends on how good your opponent is, of course. Uh, but it is but it is a, a real effect that the card has on the game. And then I guess the other card, which I maybe take even a little higher than I should, but I do think it's worth uh, taking pretty high, is Ghastly Perfume. Uh, that's uh, the two primal spell that gives one of your units killer and regen, which essentially means that it gets to do um, its strength worth of damage to another unit uh, without dying. And so it's sort of the inverse of Laser Blast. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. I still... I haven't played a lot of this card, nor has it done a lot of work for me, um, but it seems like it should be a powerful card. And Justice... or. Sorry, Primal's commons are kind of weird, so it's really actually hard to pick a second one. You know, actually, the next card on our list of top-played commons in the 7-1 decks is Hardiness, which, you know, really fits with a lot of the things that Primal's doing, but it's just like, I couldn't bring myself to put Hardiness on the list. Um, it's the next Primal card after Mabeloft Elite? Yeah, let's see, where is it? It's number like forty-eight. Oh yeah, 40, no, 46. Yeah, forty-six. There's just no. It's just it's just Mabeloft Elite at twenty, and then nothing, and then uh, Hardiness at forty-six. And obviously, Hardiness is only there because of Mabeloft Elite. So okay. <sighs> but I would I why not they keep doing this to Primal Hardiness. No, no, don't do that. Um, <laughs> You don't pick the hardinesses until you have the Mabeloft elites or the shock troops. Uh, but gas, so I don't know. I've had good experiences with Ghastly Perfume. However, I think that people have also figured out that deadly units are good in this format. And so I don't, I'm not able to pick up like a million Razorbots and Ghastly Perfumes for my deck the way I used to be able to. 
And that was what I enjoyed doing, because uh, Ghastly Perfume, of course, gives one of your units killer and regen, so if it has Deadly, it gets to kill whatever it wants and live through the process. So uh, having Razor Bots as a 1-1 Deadly and then just sort of having having it stick around and, and Ghastly Perfume it, or, you know, summon them both on the same turn, which is even better sometimes. Um, that was helpful, and I don't know. Uh, I, I think that in a format where there isn't a lot of removal, I think you have to take the removal that you've got and make the most of it. So Ghastly Perfume does a pretty good job of that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, it also plays with some of the themes in the format to some degree, which is that uh, um, Fire has kind of a, a lot of ways of, of making units have higher strength and then ghastly perfume can can turn that into a removal spell and you know you can like side slash something and then it's got overwhelm so you can kill something and do damage to your opponent's face there's a lot of little things that you can do uh, between between putting it on something with deadly and putting it on something with overwhelm and stuff i think it actually plays pretty well and the only reason that it doesn't seem like an impressive card is that it's really hard to draft primal right now yes yeah no i i i I can see all of that. Yeah. And then there are no honorable mentions. Everything else in Primal is really difficult to play. Um, Although Wind Channeler sometimes feels like it's the most powerful card in the entire game because I almost always have something that it kills that I needed to stay on the board. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Wind Channeler is a tricky one, though, because I just feel like it can totally blow you out, but then also... You know, there's a lot of games where your opponent has flyers, but they're all 1-1s or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems like it shouldn't be good. Uh, it's really the times when it is good uh, that it feels like it, it feels dramatically good. But it yes, wouldn't, it's, it, no more, it's no more awesome than it would be, like, if it were just Violent Gust. <laughs> but I've certainly played against people who would play a wind channeler on me, kill some flyer that I really needed, and then play, like, Call on Allies to make it a four or five yeah. <laughs> that's also happened yeah and I, I will give my weekly psa whenever we bring up wind channeler which is it is a it is not a may you have to play violent yeah. gust so if you have the only flyer on the board that flyer is dead yeah yeah I've, I've had an opponent do that to themselves and it was you can't you it's 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 times like those when it's too bad that eternal it's a digital game, so you can't lean over and give your opponent a reassuring pat. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should you should friend them and tell them to listen to the podcast, and they would have known about. Yeah, yeah, rub it in. That's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, if you listen to my podcast, you would have known not to do that. Um, yeah. Okay. So shall we move on to Shadow? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> we already talked about Fatal Misstep a lot, but that I think is one of the top Shadow commons. Uh, yes. But let's talk about Shouldredger. Shouldredger is a weird card. Uh, Shouldredger is, uh, it costs 9 shadow. Uh, it's a 7-6 Mandrake. Uh, Shouldredger costs 1 less for each unit in your void. And then its fate ability is when you draw it, uh, you discard the bottom card of your deck. And you always hope that that's going to be a unit and immediately reduce Shouldredger to an 8 power 7-6. Though the so nice Shouldredger... part is, even if it's a sigil, you know you're drawing one less sigil in your deck. I don't know. Well, no, you don't, because it's off the bottom of your deck, so you were never drawing that anyway. 
I know, but you know you're not going to draw. Oh, that's true. You know it's not in your deck. Oh, yeah, you absolutely want to look at the card that you uh, discarded. <laughs> <laughs> so you know there's one less of whatever that is. Um, it is information that you have, but it's also information that your opponent has. Yes. Uh, so Shoal Dredger, I think everyone really loves, and I like it. I do <laughs> think it's a strong card, but I don't love it because it if you aren't able to build a strong shell around it, I think that it ends up being like a 5 or 6 power 7-6, which is still good, but it does not do anything once it's in play. It's just a giant dumb unit. Yes, though I think the one thing it does in play is be bigger than everything your opponent has, unless they are the biggest Sentinel deck. Yes, that's true. It does outclass by itself all of the other big units, which tend to be five fives. Yeah. Um, so it does have that advantage. Your end game is going to be a little bit better than the Sentinel decks usually. And uh, that's good. That's certainly good. But if you do have a deck that can fairly consistently play Shoal Dredger for very cheap, um, and there are, you know, there's plenty of ways to accomplish that, then it's it's then it's a really strong card. I've I've just uh, I put in a class of cards where I'm not first picking them anymore, and I may be wrong about that because people seem pretty high on them right now in the Discord. But I feel like I've ended up with uh, like picking Shoal Dredger is very high, and then ended up with a deck that isn't really capable of, of pumping them out quickly, and then I, I've just got a bunch of big dumb units in my deck. Um, and people will overwhelm me by the time they have an impact on the board. Yes. Yeah, I actually uh, agree with you that Shoal Dredger is kind of a, a, a card, is in a weird place for me, because, again, so many people seem to be so very high on it, um, but it has not actually performed that greatly for me. Um, part of my problem is I feel like no matter how many Shoal Dredgers I put in my deck, my opponents always play one more Shoal Dredger than I do. Yeah. And That's the hidden text on the card. <laughs> Your opponent draws a Shoal Dredger. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of what it feels like. Um, so, so, yeah, I think maybe I do need to just start not picking them as early because... Like I, I said, I, I, my winning decks have not had a ton of Shoal Dredgers in them, even though I think it is a good card. So it has not performed as well as everyone is seeming to say it performs. But, you know, it is in the top 10. Like, people are playing a lot of them and winning with a lot of them. So it, I, it's very plausibly something that I'm doing wrong. Um, but... Yeah, it may just be sort of a deck type that takes a little practice to get good at. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I've I've had middling success with them, but I, I don't. I'm not unhappy to play them in a deck that uh, uses them well. Yes. So uh, we can also talk about Darkwater Vines, which is generally a pretty strong card. Um, I think it was such a weird looking card at first that I I wasn't real. I didn't uh, immediately know that it was good. Uh, partly because it's such a complicated card for a common. Uh, but Darkwater Vines is 1-1 uh, for one shadow with regen, uh, which is a much better... I, I think everyone knew it was a good ability, but it's it's really strong. Um, and its ultimate ability is whenever any player discards a card, Darkwater Vines 
becomes a 2-1, and each player discards the bottom four cards of their deck. So obviously really good at enabling Shoal Dredger to cost not very much, because uh, already uh, someone has discarded a card, and then Darkwater Vines discards even more. Um, and then a 2-1 re- regen for one power is a pretty good deal. Uh, that trades with a lot of with basically any two drop and some three drops. And so Dark Water Vines ends up being a very good defensive card. Yes, exactly. Yeah, regen is just such a powerful ability. And I think, it, you know, obviously you need to do a little bit of work to be able to trigger the ultimate, but a 2-1 regen for one is just... a a really amazing card. And I think this is probably the card that people I feel like have been undervaluing a lot and has also just gone up and up in my estimation. It's even in our spreadsheet, you know, it's the number 13th card. So people are playing a lot of them um, and they're doing well. I think you just, people shouldn't undervalue the fact, you know, of how good a good one drop can be. It's cheap. It goes in, (laughs) Just about any shadow deck. Yeah. I think a lot of people who draft, uh, especially if they've come from Magic the Gathering, are kind of trained in their brains to to not play one drops because they are used to them not having enough impact on the board for the fact that they took up an entire card draw. Yeah. Uh, I think this format especially has so many good one drops that you kind of have to ignore that rule. Like Dark... Uh, between Darkwater Vines and Razorbot and Auto Tread and um, the 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 Fire Grenadine that um, Gleaming replaces Grenadine. itself, Gleaming Grenadine, uh, there's a Sparking Vermin is actually a totally playable card. Like there's there's a lot of uh, you can put a lot of one drops into your deck and they are almost strong enough to feel like two drops. Yes, I agree, and I think it fits in there. Um, yeah, so so Shadow is kind of interesting. I you know I I put Shoal Dredger as the number one card. You said you're a little bit more hesitant to to first pick it and would probably put Fatal Misstep up there. I would, I would. Um, but and I and, also and take to... Razorbot pretty high. Um, yes, that's that's me personally because. Uh, but also that's with the caveat that because people are playing Justice so much more now, and because Justice has some pretty cheap relic weapons, gravity gloves, and then the 2-2 for two, that Razorbot feels like it doesn't stick around as much as it did back at the beginning of the format before people realized how well positioned those relic weapons are. Right. Yeah, It exactly. Razorbot goes down as people start picking gravity gloves higher, which I think people are doing now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so I, I agree with that. And then I put Dark Water Vines here just as sort of an honorable mention almost. I mean, I, I do pick them early and out of week packs, I will take them. Probably not very happy to pick it first pick, though. Right. And then in the tradition of Shadow in Eternal Draft, there's a bunch of completely unplayable cards. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure why. Like, Primal gets uh, its identity kind of screwed over, but still there's only like one or two of the primal commons that are actually like bad, but shadow there's like four of them. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. See our previous segment for, for more information. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, interestingly, you know, because of this format, there's so many colorless cards. I think it is worth mentioning, uh, some of them. So, I think the number one is Okessa's Audience. It is the 
one cost colorless relic that um, allows you to plunder and then you can pay two to draw a five five sentinel for five um, so this is our number one um, sort of colorless card in set 10 on our spreadsheet and i think just about you know as a one cost relic that plunders any deck can play it it has some use late game because it can turn into a five five so this is pretty i think an all-around pretty good card and a card that i'm happy to first pick just because it does a little bit of everything and can fit into almost any deck yeah, I, I've cut it from very aggressive decks, and I think it was correct to do that. But it's a pretty safe bet for most decks. Um, yes. Because it does help your early game just run very smoothly. Yes. And then um, next are sort of uh, two more of the colorless cards. There's uh, Replicated Cell Sword, which is the three-cost 2-1 um, with Regen and Plunder. And then um, Mandrake Simulacra, which is the four cost three three that um, has ultimate pay one to plunder and has decay and has decay. Yes, I so I would actually put the the Mandrake a little higher than the Cell Sword, although they're comparable. the mm. The Cell Sword does have regen, which is good, but it also is small. It's three power for a 2-1 with regen. And uh, so it's a good card. It, it often will make your deck, uh, usually. Um, but uh, I really like being able to choose when I plunder with the Mandrake. Yes. <laughs> I really love that I don't I like that I can just play it on curve, and then the next time I draw a Sigil, turn it into a Treasure Trove, and not being forced to make hard choices when I, when I really need the 3-3 three, three on the board. Yes, no, I agree. And, you know, I I don't think you're, like, super happy to first pick either of those, but they are really good cards, and they're fine to pick early when you're still trying to figure out what you want to be doing. Yeah, they'll just sort of fill in a spot on your curve uh, no matter what deck you end up in. Yes. Um, yeah, so I find that they're they're good cards to pick, like, second or third through fifth or sixth. I mean, obviously you want to pick them later too, but like say you've picked a couple good cards in multiple colors, but nothing's really showing it. And then all the good cards are out of the pack and you still don't quite know what direction you are. That's when I start, you know, picking these pretty highly. Yeah. 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 Sure. I think if you're using the philosophy uh, that you want as many of your picks to as possible, as many of your early picks as possible to make your final deck, then, you know, having strong faction this cards makes that makes choices a lot easier. All right. And then we wanted to kind of close out with, you know, now that we went through all the colors, kind of like our top. Uh, we couldn't quite make it to five. Their top four. <laughs> pack one pick one commons that we're happy with i've just got so many caveats on the commons <laughs> uh so uh, yeah i mean i hate to i hate ranking things as you know but this is fine to say that these are fine commons to first pick um and okessa's audience uh is our is our number one and then after that barricade basher a uh, barricade basher in a deck that 
you know is playing Barricade Basher is probably a stronger card than Okesa's audience, but audience is going to make a wider variety of decks because those are not, they don't have to be fire. So that's the reason why audience is higher. Uh, and then third is sent to market uh, because conditionless removal is conditionless removal. And finally, laser blast as the uh, next best removal in, in set 10 after that. Yep, I and then I think after that you're sort of you're on your own. All of the cards that we mentioned. <laughs> That's all the advice we have for you. Good uh, luck. <laughs> yeah, are pretty good. Uh, you know, sorry you opened such a weak pack, but you know that happens. Mm-hmm. So anything else you want to say, Hats? Not really. Um, I you know I still like the format, even though I have been have been losing a fair amount this week uh, because what I see people doing against me makes sense i don't feel like any particular strategy is super cheap i think the really strong strategies are actually difficult to draft and you know you know bless you if you can pull off like that soul that crazy soldier deck like you did it congratulations (laughs) um i i don't feel like there's any single thing in the format that's like uh siphoner paladin was in the last format where i'm like oh no not this again uh, certainly, if I'm getting like hit by two bashers, then I am I'm unhappy. But that doesn't seem to really happen all that often. Like the, the, I think things are sort of self-correcting to some degree. Where I'm facing a pretty wide variety of decks that seem to be built pretty well from the from the good players. So um, I'm also seeing good players experiment. Like I'm surprised by what they're playing against me. So it's not just a Rakano deck just rolling over me every single time. Yes. Yeah, and uh, like I said, we're we're next, I think, going to go over the uncommons. You know, I, for, for a hot minute, I thought we would try to do commons and uncommons, and then looking through the uncommons, there are just so many good uncommons in this format that I felt like we probably, it needed its own episode to discuss. Yeah, for sure to discuss them. So I, I think we'll do that next week unless we look at these balance changes some more and feel like actually this will be a major shakeup. But based on my initial impressions, I don't, I don't think that's, that's true, but we'll yeah, see. I don't think they did. I don't think they did anything major. I think they added a few, the, they added that handful of cards and maybe adjusted a couple of things slightly up or down, but I, I didn't see, I didn't see them deciding Here's a new theme that we're going to focus on instead of the old theme. Um, it was it was much more of a tiny massage than a than a punch in the face. Yes. Yep. And we'll see how that plays out this next week. But um, yeah, as always, uh, thank you for listening, everyone. I think that'll be our show. So thanks to all our patrons who make the show a success week after week. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. That's always much appreciated. A lot of fun discussions there. You can find a link in the show notes for that, as well as uh, give a thumbs up to all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. And don't forget to send in all your 7-win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them in the aforementioned Discord. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Have a good night. Goodbye. Nice.